This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, hello everybody and welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson, alongside Ben Dowsett, as always, managing editor of Salt City Hoops and associate editor of Salt City Hoops, respectively. We're coming at you with basketball news on, I admittedly, a, a football Thursday, the, the first NFL game of the season. Ben's carefully scouring it for fantasy football wins and losses um, shame happening on every play. For, shame that I'm rooting for Tom Brady right now. Well, I mean, you've got a lot of money at stake, though, apparently, right? Almost not enough to root for Tom Brady, but <laughs> but yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and of course, we also have the, the KSL Fantasy Football League going on in, in our workplaces. That's There's something at stake, although like I just told you, I have no idea who's playing for me in this game right now. <laughs> I think so. you have the Patriots D in Edelman. All right. Thank, I, I appreciate you knowing that more than I do. I really do. I, that's off the top of my head. but um, Anyway. You can tweet us during the show at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Remember that you can listen to radio while watching something on television. That's true. You can do both those things at the same time. And, of course, the show is also available as a podcast later on down the road for download through iTunes or Stitcher or uh, ESPNSunnorsports.com. So, you know, if you want to watch a football game and listen to us later, we'll, we'll deal with that. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of actually there's a basketball is actually there, happening. There High is. level basketball is really happening with this FIBA Eurobasket tournament and and the FIBA Americas tournament as well, where we're seeing some of the jazz men and some of the some of the best international players from around the NBA playing internationally in in a big tournament at, at a high level. Um, in particular, the two jazz guys, Rudy Gobert and Tibor Pleiss, we're going to be talking a lot about during this first segment of the show. I also oh, and want we to announce say, oh, yeah, our yeah. guests mm-hmm. today uh, who, who are going to be here. Laura Thompson, Salty Hoops writer, will be joining us at 7.30, talking about her interview with Dr. Lyle Mason. He was the orthopedic surgeon for the Utah Jazz for 36 years, which, wow. Yeah. Um, also, wow to the articles. They, yeah. They're a fantastic interview. We, we've had uh, the interviews on saltcityhoops.com. Now we're going to bring her on the show to kind of talk about her experience with interviewing uh, Dr. Lyle Mason and, and what she learned from that interview. We also have at, on the 8 o'clock hour, we'll have uh, Nate Duncan on the show from Real GM's Dunked On podcast, uh, kind of talking to him about what he's gleaned from EuroLeague, impressions of Tibor Pleiss and Rudy Gobert, and just generally his thoughts on the Utah Jazz and the NBA moving forward. So. Nate's one of the most informed people there are who, who follow both the NBA and European basketball very closely, so he's a good guy to talk to, especially as far as you want to know how guys are going to translate from one to the other. He's one of the best resources out there. Great Twitter account, too, by yep. the way, at, at Nate Duncan NBA. Anyway, but let's, let's talk about it ourselves, first of all, the, uh, the Eurobasket tournament, and in particular, how the Jazz guys are doing. Let, let's start with Rudy Gobert, uh, because I, I think he's been most impressive. I saw a stat that he's in the top five for players in this, in this tournament uh, in terms of PER. So yeah. uh, on a per 36-minute basis, he's, he's scoring 17.5 points, 12.7 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 3.1 blocks, 2.7 steals, again, per 36 minutes. Shooting sixty five percent from the floor. From the floor, I mean that's that's incredible, Ain't and bad. making 
nearly 70% of his free throws, 68.84%. That's something that we had talked a little bit mm-hmm. about as a potential concern in his early performance. Well, good news if you get a bigger sample size. It, it for the, worked out. For the full summer, because this is this is just for these five games, that's, so that's 19 free throws. For the full summer, if you include all their friendlies they played earlier, he's like around 60-ish percent, which is right around where he was for the Jazz last year. So yeah, perfectly fine. I, I, I'm personally not that worried about it. No, me neither. Um, uh, uh, kind of watching the games. What what are the, some of the things that you've gleaned, Ben, from w- watching him in in competition? Well, as always, we have to give the a, a bit of a caveat that at times he's not playing against top level competition. There are certain teams they've played that where his opponents have really not been particularly good. But then he has played. They played Poland, for example, and he checked Marcin Gortat for mm-hmm. most of the game. That's a bona fide NBA player. Israel, though, doesn't have anyone no. of that. No, size. although Israel does, interestingly enough, they have a couple of bigs who shoot, who Rudy had to guard those guys okay. today, and it was uh, there, it was an, a bit of an adventure for him at a couple points because he was all the way out on the perimeter. Um, but in general, I think you can very clearly see Rudy's offensive skill continuing to develop like we saw last season. He went from, you remember back to thir- the 13-14 season, his rookie year, he could barely catch a basketball. Could yeah. barely catch a basketball, pivot, and do something with it when he caught it. Now we're looking at his footwork has been a lot better out of the pick and roll. He can catch the ball really well. He keeps it high up above his head, which is important for a big guy like that so it doesn't just get swiped by a bunch of hands in the lane. He's making way better passes out of it. Him and Diao together in this tournament have been they've been excellent. Like they Diao's one of the best passing big men in the NBA, and they've been pretty fantastic as a combination there. Um, and just everything about his timing, I feel like, offensively has has really well improved. And even, we discussed this last week as well, He's the, France has just every once in a while, not often, just every once in a while gone to him in the post. And he's actually had some stuff there. He's had a baseline spin that he's pulled a few times now that's worked. He's got the whole baseline up and under where you catch the ball on the weak side and you don't even dribble. You just take one step under the basket and use the basket to shield yourself. Or, in his case, dunk it. Or to dunk he's, it. Yeah, he's, he's done amazingly well. Yeah. Um, he's got both of those moves completely down. Um, he did the floater that we've been hearing about that he's been sort of working on with the Jazz. He's tried it a few times. Not a whole lot of luck. Hasn't again, really gone down. That he's trying it, I think, is, is oh, a yeah. good sign. Yeah. I don't think he's made it once yet, though. But, yeah, you're right. That he's, that he's trying it is good. Yeah, you can see that he's he's just the guy's come so far. I don't think, I mean, he can be better defensively, but I don't know that we're going to see that progress step by step anymore because he's already so good at it that it's yeah. just like it's just getting into a larger degree of better at the things <laughs> we've already seen. Now, uh, offensively though, he has real things to add, and we're seeing him add them, and that's I've been pleased with that. I mean, it's so impressive because you mentioned his rookie year, and it, that year, that entire year, he had seven assists total, total in four hundred thirty-four minutes. You know, that's 0.2 assists per game, 0.6 per 36 minutes. Now he's become an asset as a passer and and is finding people uh, 1.8 assists per 36 last year in the NBA. Like we said, what was it, 1.4 assists? For this tournament uh, so far, yeah. Which, you know, it's not not a ton. You know, it's not Blake Griffin passing numbers. It's not Karl Malone passing numbers. Right. Um, but it, it means that he's a cohesive part of a in, of an offense, right? Which he wasn't his rookie year at all. And more importantly, he's not always necessarily getting assists for these, but he's making the right passes out of his situations on the roll. That's really frequent. You don't always see the first rotation after a pass from the roll man and pick and roll lead it to the actual assist. Oftentimes, they ought to fling it around the perimeter a bit and find the open shot. Mm-hmm. But that first pass is the is the most important one. If you don't make it, instead, the defense is going to have their time to reset. You don't get them running on their rotations. And Gobert has appeared to learn that really well. He understands that he needs to make his decisions quickly, and he's making the right ones for the most part. 
you mentioned also his better footwork in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I again, that that to me is maybe the number one thing that Quinn Snyder has done differently than Tyrone Corbin. It's focused on those little kind of details mm-hmm. that actually make a difference in, in player development. Huge difference. You know, you watch. Uh, you know, I've watched Quinn both before and after practices go step by step with these players through. Okay, if you get the ball, what are you supposed to do on on the roll? You know, what 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 are the individual steps that you're going to be taking? And, and there are different steps depending on where you are on, are on the floor. And, and Quinn Snyder understands those differences in, in a way that I I'm not sure that Ty. Um, could teach as well. I think I would pretty well agree with that. We've seen that he does it with guards, does it with bigs, with everyone. And with a guy like Gobert, that is such a huge part of his value offensively, is how well he sets screens, then rolls to the basket and draws attention. That's that's so huge for him. that you. I mean, that's exactly what you should want to do, is he should want to have every little bit Every little, yeah. every single step, honestly, plotted out exactly how he wants it, and I think Rudy's come a long way with that. The steal numbers to me are also impressive: two point seven steals per game. That's cool to see. That might be um, leading. Hold on, I need to check. That was one of the top numbers in the tournament. Wow. Uh, which I mean, he's seven foot two. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, Paul Millsap, for example, has done a really good job at getting steals as a big man. I, I believe he's top five. I, I, he may have even ended up as first last year. I'll, I'll have to look up the stats. But uh, the, one of the best steal accumulators in the league and definitely the best steal big man in the league. But Rudy Gobert, with his long arms, can can get in the middle of things and maybe get some steals for his own uh, on his own, especially if he's playing the perimeter more and uh, is forced out there by these kind of big, these shooting big men that you're talking about, or honestly that I think... Uh, will have that Rudy Gobert may face more of, you know, against NBA defenses this season. They're going to try and do that to him as often as they possibly can. Yeah, coming into today's game, Rudy was tied for second in the tournament with seven steals overall. He got one today, so I don't know what they haven't updated the overall, like, rankings there. There's a guy on Israel that had ten coming into today, so he didn't pass him, but he finished somewhere in the top five, most likely, for steals for the tournament and was tops in blocks. That's, That's cool to hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I basically, he's been Rudy Gobert with maybe uh, another extra wrinkle or two. Maybe even more, maybe not wrinkles, but refinement. Would would you say that's the right way to put it? Yeah, I think, and and a little more uh, versatility offensively. Okay. The, he's, I, I don't know that he's going to be a guy in the NBA that you can throw the ball to in the post regularly, but he's a guy you can go to down low if he's open and you know that at worst he's just going to make the right play. It may not necessarily be the the perfect play, you know, going to lead to an, a basket every single time, but he's turning the ball over a lot less and he's making the right calls. And I think for a guy his size, with the amount of gravity he draws on those pick and rolls, that's all you need. Because if when he's drawing that kind of gravity, if he's making the right play out of it, somebody's open. Uh, I completely agreed, and and he's so good at recognizing when he has to bail out uh, teammates with screens and and get in the right spots yep. for it for his teammates. So. That's really cool to see. Let's move on to Tibor Pleiss, uh, playing for Germany, who was knocked out of the tournament today, uh, officially with their loss to Spain. Sad, by the way, because there are rumors that this is that Dirk is now done playing international basketball, that he's not going to play in the Olympics next year. It, it certainly seemed like it with his his yeah, walk off a, the court, gave a standing ovation, kind of teared up as he was circling the court. You know, that, that doesn't seem like a guy who's going to be playing more international games. But. Yeah. Uh, at least certainly not in front of his hometown. Could have. I was going to suggest that, that he maybe it was just because he thought that might be the last time he plays for Germany in Germany. Yeah. Um, but either way, it was an unfortunate tournament for them. You know, they lost by two to Turkey. They lost in overtime to Italy. They lost by on that last second shot by uh, by uh, Bielica 
against Serbia. Mm-hmm. Real tough. They could have easily made it. I think they were just about as good as each of those teams. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, and it is a bummer because now Tibor Plyce doesn't get more games. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. Some Jazz fans are against the Jazz players playing in these sort of international competitions, and understandably so after Dante Axum's injury. But I think this sort of experience for Rudy Gobert and Dante Exum and Tibor Pleiss is really valuable. And my example for that is Rudy Gobert's eruption last FIBA cycle mm-hmm. uh, last year when, when really kind of his emergence came from playing the Gasol brothers against Spain in, in, at, as a Frenchman, not as a, as a jazz man. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I, I think no, not certainly not to the same degree, but Tibor Pleiss, I believe, is setting himself up for a, a very good situation. I also did the math on the per 36 for him. I'll yeah, read those here. off real quick. Uh, 16.6 points, 11.1 rebounds, 1.4 blocks. He's shooting fifty, nearly 57% from the field, and he's shooting 92% from free throw. He's only taken 13, though, so he's made 12 of them. Um, but he hasn't taken any shots from the outside, really. I mean, None. He's, Basically none. Which is, which is interesting. He did in the warm-ups, you know, in right. those friendlies, and we, we saw a couple shots there, but really not even a threat to shoot. You know, we keep hearing about his tremendous outside shot from, from the Jazz uh, during practice. But he's not taking him at the FIBA level right now at all. No, and you wonder if to some degree that's because Dirk Nowitzki is also playing next to him a lot of the time, which they've played the two together for a large portion of their minutes this time. Yeah, I mean, if you have the option between a Dirk outside shot or a Tibor Pleiss outside shot, I mean, right. you're going to choose but the best big man shooter of all time. It's also clear that defenses don't seem to think much of him out there. They don't seem to be worried about him doing that. When he's standing top of the key beyond the three-point line or even in slightly inside the three-point line, guys are standing six, ten feet off of him. They're nowhere close. They're, they don't expect him to shoot, and they're not worried about what happens if he does. Um, what else we, do you see? Um, I've really, as and this is something I've said both in pieces I've written and on here, I really love his activity level, and I think everyone that started to watch him is seeing this now. This is a guy who is always engaged in the play. He does not take even a second off. He's always in a stance defensively. He's, he communicates extremely well with his teammates. He knows where he's supposed to be on the floor. Offensively, he's going to be a pick-and-roll asset right away. He's, it's like... For this, for his sort of size and semi-gangliness, in a sense, it's almost crazy to note how well he finishes at angles. When he takes these weird lob passes and he's kind of catching it at a weird angle and he's on the move and the basket's at a weird angle and he's finishing those really well. He's good at that. Um, he's going to be an asset and his footwork is really, really good. And like Gobert, he's he's got an understanding of when when good picks can be set to to make good things happen for the offense. Do you think he's an above-average defender? Because, you know, that that to me was the biggest worry on his scouting report. And, I, I mean, I, I see that worry with his movement, but and with, especially with the strength down low. Yeah, uh, the strength is the, is the most serious concern. As a But Rudy Gobert doesn't have, like, huge amounts of strength, and he does fine. But he has more than Plyce, and he also okay. has a way bigger vertical. Plyce is going to struggle on the boards, so if you lump boards in with defense, which a lot of people do because I think it— And I hate that, by the way, but— Yeah, um, from that perspective, and also from if he ever does come up against real post guys, they're going to hurt him. He's not okay. strong enough, and he's 26 already, so you, you're not really sure if that's ever going to improve. Um, but as far as defending things like pick and roll, I think he's going to be better than we had initially assumed. He's— Got quick enough feet. He's, he's not like I think he's. I had a reputation as kind of molasses type of feet. It's not really true. He moves pretty well. He's and he actually, as far as running the floor, he's going to be an asset. He runs the floor well. Um, he can defend the pick and roll. He can as long as you know the Jazz aren't going to force him to jump way out at ball handlers or anything goofy like that. And he can play that sort of hangback scheme where he just needs to contain, use his wingspan, and be wide. 
he can do that kind of stuff. And again, his his feel and his understanding for where he needs to be is is pretty excellent. He's not a good shot blocker at all. He's in fact he's bad at that specifically. Like he doesn't get up quickly enough to challenge shots, and that's going to be a concern in the NBA where guys are even more sort of stealthful at getting stealthy, stealthful, whatever. I like stealthful. Stealthful at at getting those off. That's what guys are good at in the NBA. That could be a problem for him, and the rebounding I think could be a problem for him. Yeah, I mean he's had eleven point one rebounds per thirty six minutes in this tournament, and but you're right at, at the ACB level that was a little bit concerning. It was it was an average ish. Maybe maybe the seven three height helps him. Um, it does, but, but he does not have much lift. Like he, the right. difference between a guy like him and Gobert is they're about the same height, but Gobert has way longer arms, obviously, and can just get up higher. And his second jump is is a lot faster. And, and there are very bad, or I, I should say, just plain bad uh, seven foot rebounders in the NBA. There I mean, are. You, you look at the Lopez's. Um, uh, why am I forgetting? Bellinelli? No, not Bellinelli. Italian <laughs> Bargnani. Bargnani. Thank you. There you go. Um, you know, height isn't everything, but regardless, I, I, I think Tibor, uh, the 11.1 rebounds to me was actually a good sign on this. You're right that I think scouting-wise, uh, he ha- he's clearly not a jumper like, say, Rudy Gobert is, but I, I think he... I think he'll be adequate, basically, is what I'm going for. Yeah, more, I, could, I could go with that. More worrisome for me is the assist total, um, and in mm-hmm. particular, how he moves with the ball when he gets a ball, um, moves the ball when he gets a ball, just in terms of, you know, Quinn Snyder talks about playing with the pass, and it's not like Tibor Plyce is selfish by any means, but I, I wouldn't call him a facilitator or a playmaker or, or any of that. He's a, maybe even a ball stopper, it might be fair to say. He does get a bit I, again I would agree selfishness but he gets a bit because he's a, you can just watch him play on offense he's not selfish he loves to run around and set screens for guys he loves yeah. to do the dirty work he's not a selfish player who needs to get his stats or anything like that it's more that he gets a bit of tunnel vision when he gets on the pick and roll and then he gets the ball he's kind it seems like he's just kind of conditioned to think I got to score here because I've gotten the ball out of the pick and roll now yeah. and sometimes in the NBA that's harder, and teams are going to crash down on you, and you need to, like we've talked about with Rudy Gobert, you need to be able to make the right play. And I think, yeah, that is going to be a concern for him, is whether he can do that consistently enough or whether teams are just going to be like, hey, anytime they pass it to Plyce, just crowd him, and he can't do anything. Yeah, and, you know, I'm I'm happy that Rudy Gobert has learned that skill a little bit, and Derek Favors has learned it a lot oh, yeah. um, since coming into the league. I, I'm relatively confident that, Tibor Plyce will be able to learn that too. Yeah, and if he can, that's a really big. If he can learn that and get just a little bit more toughness and timing inside defensively, he's a real asset. At, I think he can be an asset at the NBA level, especially because with the Jazz, the most he'll ever be expected to be is a third big at very best. Agreed. Well, while these two guys are in Europe playing the the FIBA EuroBasket tournament, uh, there are 15 Jazz men currently in Salt Lake City, according to Randy Rigby, president of the Utah Jazz. Um, working out at the Zions Bank Basketball Center um, with coaches and, and that sort of thing, and you know their fellow players working on their games, working on their skills. That's three weeks before training camp is set to begin, mm-hmm. which to me is is really impressive. Literally everyone who could be there can, is there right now. I mean, 15 out of the 20, but you look at the two guys who are overseas, there are two guys hurt, uh, Grant Jarrett and Dante Exum. Uh, their injuries are, are bad enough that they can't play. Uh, and Derek Favors is a new father and is is literally taking care of his newborn twin daughters at home for the time being. So paternity on, leave. exactly. So everybody else though, 
you know, it's not, no one wants to extend their vacation by staying in Australia, another whatever, or um, Joe Ingalls scheduled his honeymoon so he could be back by now. You know, it's all these things that, you know, people are not, people are excited for the season to start. These players are, are buying into this jazz system, I they guess don't, I would yeah, say. They don't have to do this necessarily. Right. No, they don't have to show up for another three weeks. And, you know, you hear about how selfish, quote unquote, NBA players are all the time. This is an example of how the Jazz have accumulated guys who are willing to work together for their their own contract futures. And don't think that three weeks does not matter because three weeks is huge. Practice, we talk about this on this show all the time. Practice time during the season, sparse. Like, especially practice time to run systems and to think of tweaks for opponents and things like that. It doesn't really happen during the season. Now is the time. And getting three extra weeks of that over most of your opponents or even any of your opponents, that's a big deal. Yeah, and, and with a little bit earlier of a preseason, uh, and maybe it's not a compressed training camp schedule, but I, I think uh, the season is coming earlier than before in order to fit in some of these back-to-back changes. It, it's not by much. It's by a couple days, let's yeah. be honest. But uh, I, I think that's that's good to see. Um, from You know, it just, again, reflects the level of commitment that these jazz players have. Uh, they're not in Vegas partying. They're no. working on the craft. So. Yeah, I really like to see it. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have Laura Thompson, Salt City Hoops writer, talking about her interview with Dr. Lyle Mason. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoops Show. You're listening to it on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett joining you. We've got Laura Thompson on the phone, fellow Salt City Hoops writer. She had a great interview with uh, Dr. Lyle Mason, who's been the orthopedic surgeon for the Utah Jazz for 36 years, um, which is incredible, since before the team moved from uh, New Orleans to Utah. Let's clarify for the listeners, is or was? Was, I believe. Laura, are you there? Is that right? Can you confirm that for us? Yeah, that's right. He retired earlier this year from the Jazz. Okay. Thank you. so anyway, Laura had a great interview with her. It's It's been blowing up on social media, and, and CBS Sports covered it and, and everything else. So and, you know, it's good to see the good work that um, and this great interview covered on, on, on other outlets. Anyway, um, Laura, first of all, how are you doing? I am doing really well. How about you guys? Good, good. And thanks for joining us on the show. So um, let's, let's talk about what CBS Sports picked up first, which was kind of his thoughts on Darren Williams' game. Um, and in particular... It didn't seem like Darren responded well to coaching from from Dr. Mason's perspective. Yeah, I think, I mean, it seemed like that was kind of the rumor that was going around for a really long time, and this was just a little bit of confirmation for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we've, we've started seeing that even since Darren was traded to New, Jer- New Jersey, now Brooklyn, and now Dallas, right? And I remember there was a comment by, I want to say it was Bowler Jack after the Darren trade where he said the five and a half years Darren spent in Salt Lake City are going to be the longest, that's going to be the longest amount of time he's going to spend in any one place. And I remember thinking that was very interesting. And so when I was picking Lyle's brain a little bit and just getting some feedback from him, it seemed to confirm what a lot of the rumors had been saying. Now, Laura, so for our listeners here, you've, you've known Dr. Mason for a long time, correct? This wasn't just kind of like an out of the blue interview, right? No, no, he's actually my uncle, so I've known him for a very long time. Well, there you go. That's that's kind of a good in there, right? Now, he he also had some really interesting th- – and by the way, guys, so we we actually have another part to Laura's series coming tomorrow. Yes, We've had the first you. two parts. One post – part one was yesterday. Part two was today. Part three is going to be tomorrow. 
And in the part today, um, there was a bit actually on Andre Kirilenko as well, which I was interested in. Specifically, that that maybe Andre didn't Andre didn't maybe have that same kind of push that maybe a Stockton and Malone did to be great. That he that he was good and he liked basketball and he loved playing and everything, but he wasn't. He didn't necessarily have an upset. Maybe that obsession with being spectacular is is that what the the impression you got from from Dr. Mason? Yeah, and he he talked about how Andre liked basketball. It was what he he chose to do. He was in something different when he was younger, but he said, "I want to do basketball," so he switched to that. But he never had quite the same drive for greatness that Stockton had or that Malone had. And I think you see the difference in the result, right? Um, I mean, aside from injuries, there there just was never quite that same dedication to the game or the off season training that the other two had. And I think I think we kind of felt that at the time, even when Karolinko was with the team, we just felt like he's reading these Russian novels and he was a different personality and maybe a more well-rounded personality, perhaps. I don't know, but I think he was a different, unique kind of basketball player that we we weren't used to that type of personality type when we were used to the very driven, very dedicated Stockton and Malone years. It was different for us and it was an adjustment. And I think that is kind of reflected in, in the way his career has gone. Well, I think, and you can see it, that it was just another quote from Dr. Mason, that it was a, a huge adjustment for Andre to be here, even in the United States, that he, that he was, uh, that Dr. Mason was giving him a ride to the airport to pick up his wife one day, and, and he <laughs> asked him, asked Andre yeah. if he owns a car, and Andre says, no, do you, do you think I could have a car? And he's like, like, is that yeah. a thing? Like, that I'm, a, you know, it, most other athletes, they'd be like, yeah, I'm a multimillionaire now, I can definitely have a car. He was, it was almost more of like a cultural thing for him, like, is it all right for me to have a car? And I think it's kind of refreshing to see that there's that moment in, in these athletes' lives often where they realize this money's going to change things. And I think Dr. Mason really showed that well in that story of this This is going to be a different life that, that I can have. And, and I think that was kind of refreshing to see that from Andre uh, when he first started with the Jazz. Yeah, I, I agree. Um Getting back to kind of Dr. Mason for a second, I, I kind of want your impressions of, I mean, obviously, you, as you pointed out, you've known him for a long time or he's known you for a long time. Tell us kind yeah. of who Dr. Lyle Mason is and, and you know, who's, who, it is, who it is that's been around the Jazz for 36 years. Yeah, so that's been one of the really fun things about both talking with him during this interview. I mean, it was well over two hours long when he and I sat down and talked about the Jazz. And it's been really cool having reflected on it and writing this and trying to get this kind of encapsulated. I was trying to get into one post and I realized there's no way this is going to be two or three. Just thinking about, I'm super biased, but I just think Lyle is the best guy. And he is incredibly loyal, incredibly hardworking. I think he's very emblematic of what the Jazz have always tried to represent. And for someone to spend 36 years with one organization shows a lot of loyalty on both sides. But as I was thinking about it, um, just recognizing, I mean, he was talking about how he would talk to other trainers. He'd talk to other doctors for other teams and they would just be telling him, you know, drama and stories and all this crazy. And it goes both ways. So I think it was just really, it was very insightful to see that yes, he is incredibly loyal. He's incredibly hardworking, but it was also on the organizational side as well. I also Um, found, Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I also found it interesting. His sort of comparison, I believe this was in part one yesterday, uh, his comparison to how with these, he's done a lot of major surgeries in his time and how the, you know, sort of in the older days, it was more, he did a lot more of them back then because that was like more, maybe more normal. 
Whereas now the agents have kind of started to play a role and you see guys, his quote was, you know, the guys in Miami go to Los Angeles, the guys in Los Angeles go to wherever and so on and so forth. You see guys, you know, sort of scanning all their options. Maybe their agent has a preferred doctor they like. We see doctors now starting to gain publicity and like having almost like rapport within the league. Was that something that like, did that almost seem to irk him or did he just kind of think that's a natural progression of the business? I think one of the great things about him is he's, completely egoless where it, it didn't seem to bother him. I, I think he recognized at times that it was nice to have a second or a third opinion so that the onus wasn't entirely on him where he recognized you know, this is a wise thing to do, especially in the Alec Burks case of last year in the shoulder. I remember him saying this was nice that it wasn't all on me because I was recommending surgery and he wanted to play through it. He wanted to, he didn't want to sit out the rest of the season. And so for him, it was refreshing that there were other uh, surgeons that were recommending the same thing, and and that was kind of nice. He, I know he appreciated that. But I remember thinking, gosh, he used to do all the surgeries when I was really little, and I remember him telling me you know, about John Stockton's knee surgery and different things like that. And then I, I just noticed in the last ten years that that had changed a lot. So that was kind of what what prompted the question was what what has changed on your side or on the agent side, or what has changed that that's created this kind of different situation. And like you're talking about, where some of these physicians have gained. Uh, whether it's celebrity or notoriety or whatever, it, 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 it's definitely changed in the last 10 or 15 years with agents having more power and having more sway over what their players do. What was it? You, you spoke for, with him for about two hours. Is that right? Yeah. What, what was it that surprised you the most or interested you the most during that time that, you know, you learned something new or got some new insight from, from Dr. Mason? Uh, one thing that was new, so he had told me before that he had called John Stockton a freak of nature, referring to the fact that he never got injured and, you know, he was able to play through everything and he was somehow able to play at a very high level for a very long period of time. What was new to me this time was that Stockton actually called him out on it and had read it in a newspaper article somewhere and was like, hey, what's this about? And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's just you never get hurt. That's what I was referring to. So I thought that was kind of a fun little playful thing that happened to him that I, I hadn't heard that part of the story before. Um, I think the other interesting thing was some of Kirilenko's background. That was that was new to me. I didn't realize uh, that they were kind of trained kind of as, as specific athletes when they were younger and that he had chosen essentially to, to play basketball. That was new to me too. Well, I wonder if most would have had that choice or be, if it was just because he was so special that he, as an athlete, that yeah. he kind of had a little more leeway. You mentioned Stockton and Malone. I was I was blown away by the just the that they'd come to camp at like one to three percent body fat with Carl Malone at how big is Carl Malone? Like two hundred and fifty pounds or whatever he was. That's that's insanity. Yeah. Like that's complete craziness. And that those two would like have a body. They, they had a body fat competition. Yeah. Yeah, it would be pretty much, I mean, each of them had a really intensive off-season regimen, right? And so they would come into camp and it would be a competition of who's got lower body fat percentage. And uh, I, I think it was pretty heated and pretty pretty even, actually. I think sometimes Stockton would win, sometimes Malone would win. But, um, yeah, for them to be that, that crazy low, I think they had to ask them to kind of not be that intense about it because you're not supposed to be that low, but... <laughs> They're incredible competitors, and they just had such a workout regimen that, that allowed them to kind of have that fun competition. You've got part three coming out tomorrow. Um, can you kind of preview for us kind of what, what we can expect from that, from that, the rest of the interview, I guess the final part of it? All right. I'm trying to think because at this point in my head, they're kind of meshing together. Um, 
I think part three, there's some fun Rudy Gobert tidbits in there that are, are kind of cool. Like his first meeting with Rudy Gobert at the, um, at the rookie camp, I think, in Chicago, where Rudy Gobert was asking, like, okay, what are, what are the rules about this? And can I, can I tip the ball off the rim? And, you know, just trying to understand better the rules from the international game versus the NBA game and, and trying to understand that better. And just how he talked about Rudy has this confidence that he is going to be great. And he's got the body to be great, and he's got the length to be great. And so he's really excited to see where Rudy ends up. But he, he talked about he was just very wanting to understand the difference in the rules so he could, he could get it as quickly as possible. And Lyle would just tell him, you're going to make some of these mistakes. The Europeans always do. It's just what happens with the difference in the rules. But you're, you're going to do fine if you're asking all these questions early on. Yeah, um, I don't think there's any. Dante. Sorry, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. <laughs> he was talking about uh, Dante, and this interview happened before the injury, so we were still on a little bit of a high with what we'd seen from, from Dante from Summer League. But um, he talked about just the, the length and the, the defense that, that Dante provided was just really unique, and he was really excited to see, because he really also admired his work ethic and, and the, the improvements that he'd made that he'd seen, he was really excited to see what Dante could do as well. So last question, Laura, before we got to let you go. Um, the, in today's segment, there was also a little bit about Dr. Mason's impressions of the, the two most recent jazz coaches. So Quinn Snyder currently versus Ty Corbin and, and specifically painted uh, Quinn Snyder as a bit more of a, a quote unquote type A personality, a little bit more of, a, of, a, of an alpha, if you will. And maybe Ty Corbin as a bit less of that. Was there, did he say maybe anything more there? Or was there more sort of context to that quote in your actual interview with him that kind of illustrated the differences he saw between those two guys? I would say that was pretty much the entirety of, of what we talked about as far as Ty versus Quinn. But maybe some of the, the emphasis, he very much emphasized the word driving force when he was talking about Quinn. Just how he's a very strong personality but very intelligent and very good at communicating what he's wanting from the players. And so it was interesting. He, he kind of painted the picture of Ty being maybe more laid back, maybe more easygoing in that sense. Um, but he just talked about how Quinn Snyder is incredibly demanding, incredibly intelligent, and the players, especially the great players, respond to that very well. So I think that was maybe a little bit more context of, of kind of the, the tone around what he was talking about. Interesting. All right. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. That's Laura Thompson, by the way, fellow Salt City Hoops writer. Um, where can we follow you on Twitter? <laughs> Hoops Laureate. I, I still love that Twitter handle. It is a really good Twitter handle. Like, that's, a, that's <laughs> yeah, excellent. Thanks to Spencer Hall for that one. Yeah. So, at Hoops Laureate on Twitter, of course, all of your work is on saltcityhoops.com. Thanks again, Laura, for interviewing Dr. Lyle Mason, first of all, and then coming on the show today. Thanks, you guys. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Cool interview, by the way, by awesome. Laura. So good. You guys have to read it. You really, if, you, if part three will be out tomorrow, I'll be tweeting some links to all three. You got to read it. Yep, saltcityhoops.com. Uh, this is the Salt City Hoops show you're listening to right now on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett, associate editor, joins me. Um, as always, by the way, you can chime in on anything you want to talk about. Well, okay, let's limit it to basketball. Yeah, I, I, I would kind of be curious to see what would happen if we, we just were said like anything? if no, if we were just like advice talk ho- talk show hosts, right? Like, call in, tell us about your relationship. I can give troubles. fantasy football advice. Although, like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, 
I, I think we're below average personable. <laughs> I, you speak for yourself, sir. We are mean people. <laughs> you don't want to talk to us. It's not true. Yeah. I'm very kind. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben underscore Dowsett. If you want, you can also call us 877-353-0700 if, you know, you're not scared off by what I just said. But let's talk about the Utah Jazz and, in particular, Trevor Booker. Uh, you had an interesting article about him yesterday. And, in particular, you, you drew some interesting parallels between Trevor Booker and Draymond Green, uh, the guy who was just named as a top 20 NBA player by Sports Illustrated, uh, in terms of being able to fill kind of that small ball power forward role for, for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, now, first of all, I left a big disclaimer in the piece, and we'll do so again here, that I am not comparing Trevor Booker as an overall player to Draymond Green, because he's not. Draymond Green is a, is a much more versatile defender, um, uh, just a, a better player overall. It's just what it is. Um, that said, and the other thing that I think is a distinction that somebody did mention to me on Twitter yesterday is that we should, just for the, the slightly more casual fan, should understand that when we're talking about small ball, we aren't necessarily always actually talking about the people on the floor being small. We're more talking about the ability of a team to stretch the floor with at least three or four guys who can shoot, and it just so happens that a lot of the time, guys are better at shooting when they're smaller, and therefore it makes more sense to have four, have three or four small guys on the floor. Yeah, that being said, Trevor Booker is pretty small. He is for his position, and so right. is Draymond. They're the same height, and they're nearly the same weight as well, which is why, uh, one of the reasons I drew the comparison. The other is that because, in a little-known fact to some people— Despite Draymond Green totally having the stretch four label attached to him last year and Trevor Booker not having that label attached, Trevor Booker shot a better percentage from three last year than Draymond Green now. But, yeah. the big There is a big but with that, which is that Draymond took over three times as many attempts right. as Trevor Booker took. And there's no guarantee whatsoever that if Trevor shot that many, that he would b still succeed, that he would still have that same rate. Here's the thing, though, and this is the point that I made. There's certainly how accurate you are from three matters as far as stretching the defense, but we see a lot of examples of the perception of a guy's ability from three actually mattering way more than act they, how they good at, how good wow how how accurate <laughs> how they, they actually are from three, and that's because I think there's just something of a of a recency bias or a a frequency bias or something like that in our brains that we when you see Draymond Green shooting 183s on the year, which is how many he shot you think, oh, that's a guy I have to worry about from out there because he shoots a lot of threes. And I think rightfully so because, you know, you're more often burned. Right, exactly. And my point was that if Trevor Booker puts a really big emphasis on doing that, even if his percentage comes down just a little bit, and in particular he shot a great percentage on wide-open threes uh, per sport view data, and if he, had, if he get, continues to get those and shot even close to that range, even if he dropped just a little bit on that number, he would still be... That every time he took one of those, it would be a major plus for the Jazz base efficiency yeah. standpoint. My point is that I think that Booker, in many ways, epitomizes what you want from these small ball type units. He's got the strength to be a good rebounder. He was nearly as good of a rebounder as Derek Favors last year. Not quite, but nearly. He's got the strength to do that. He's got a good low center of gravity. He's not getting moved around by guys in the post very often. Maybe the occasional backup guy can shoot over him, but when he's playing as the third big, there's not too many guys that are really killing him there. And... If he can come out and space the floor there, he can also be a bit of a playmaking for, as Zach Lowe coined that phrase on Grantland, a, a guy who not only can shoot, but then can put the ball down on the floor and can make the right passes and can do things like that with the ball in his hands 
You pointed out that he actually leads the Jazz's bigs in points created per 36 minutes via assists yeah. or assist chances per 36. Same same statistic, or sorry, not the same statistic, but same thing. He's at number one, uh, 4.7 assist chances per 36 compared to just four each for Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors, 2.2 for Ennis Cantor. So. Yeah, and, and that's, I think we think of both Gobert and Favors as pretty good passers for for bigs maybe not you know Joakim Noah but they're they're very good passers for their size Booker was actually slightly more incisive at setting his teammates up last year when you put all of that together I think Booker is is pretty clearly the best option for the Jazz as far as if they want to run some units that allow a little more spacing for their guards to get into the lane and do some things I I, I think if you just tell Trevor hey you're not sta- whenever you're not close to the basket you're standing outside the three-point line. You're in one of those two areas. You're never just standing in that mid-range area. And when you have an open three, you're taking it all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I think if you do that, you'd maybe even maybe even double his attempts or even one and a half times his attempts. I think you could have a player really quickly who's making teams step a few steps closer to him with their big man, and a few steps closer to him on the three-point line means a few steps further away from the basket. I thought his confidence went kind of up and down with that last mm-hmm. year, where he would take it in, in a group of games and then not take it for a little bit and yep. then be kind of reminded that he shoots it again or you know whatever the case is, is that meant that that meant he went up and down with it. I think his game is more similar offensively to Draymond Green than people think. Um, Draymond has you're right has a has a three-point game and has that kind of playmaking ability i i don't know that he's as good in transition as draymond is no. but to me the big difference is defensively i think offensively they're actually pretty similar defensively you know draymond is oh, yeah. a top five defender in the league or at least was by voting last year mm-hmm. where trevor booker is probably below average maybe slightly below average but i really don't actually think you're giving up a huge amount with him he's got the foot speed to get out there on the perimeter and to maybe you know not that he can check guards or anything like that, but he can stay with your you're not quite as speedy fours and your stretch fours and things like that. I think he's fine against most of those guys. He doesn't. I don't think he makes glaring mistakes that ruin your defensive possessions like a certain former big on the on the Jazz's team. <laughs> what um, are you talking about? I couldn't. I have no idea. Anyway, <laughs> I, I I I definitely he's he's certainly nowhere even remotely close to Draymond Green's class as a defender. But I think he's passable enough. And again, he's playing a lot with second units where Draymond is. Well, a lot of the time against starters now that he's starting with right. the Warriors. I, I think it's enough that at least for the Jazz's purposes, they've got an in-house option now to where they can say, hey, we're putting an emphasis on this for you, Trevor, this year. Anytime, if you're open, you shoot that three, no matter what. Let me ask you this, I guess, question number two. Uh, do you think he is an above-average third big in the league? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, and, I, I think I've said that, that on here of, before. Yeah, I, I, you have. And I, I don't know that a lot of people would agree with you. Or, and I, I don't think that that's wrong. I think that's just people are underrating Trevor Booker a little bit because they haven't yeah. seen what he can do. And especially if they can stretch things out a bit this year and he can be one of those guys that really helps. The, like, you know, if he can be playing in units with Plyce and both of those guys can shoot, that's that's huge, potentially. That could be really, really interesting for the Jazz offensively. That could be something they really need. So where does Trey Lyles fit in then? I think Trey Lyles down the line is the Jazz hope for similar things. The Jazz hope that he can become the quote-unquote playmaking four that, that Zach Lowe coined, where he can, now we saw him doing some, you know, he ran pick and roll this year in summer league. He was, he, they, they definitely want him to be a shooter down the line. They want him handling the ball and they think he can make plays, even if maybe John Calipari doesn't think he's a playmaker. Um, I, I think that that's the, yeah, that's the perfect, you know, that's the utopia down the road for Trey Lyles is if he develops everything, he's a guy who's 
who's big enough that he can bang for the rebounds, that he doesn't get you burned on that end. But then on the other end, if you need him to, he can function like a he can be a shooter and he can be a guy that that plays the perimeter and opens up space for the rest of your team. And I think that sort of that he can be very much like a Draymond Green with, of course, you know, two different degrees. He'll probably never be anywhere close to Draymond Green as a defender. But well, and yeah, and that's the thing is you you can't bet on anyone being a top twenty NBA player now. No. Whether or not Draymond's actually, do you think? Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Do you think Draymond's a top twenty NBA player? I think he's right in that range okay. because then people have taught a lot of people have been like, well, he only works because of the fit. I completely disagree. He would fit anywhere. That guy yeah, would. That guy would fit I, perfectly. I agree. To me, that's what makes him such a good and unique player is that he is so versatile at what he does. Yeah. Um, that in a way that other power forwards around the league aren't. You know, I, I'm I'm with you on that. And but. you'll you know you'll never get another Draymond Green, and that's not what we're trying to find here. We're not trying to find a replica of Draymond Green. But if you've got a guy who can do a lot of those similar things, especially a guy who's such a change of pace for the Jazz because their main identity with their bigs is huge and not right. much shooting, I think that's great for a team like the Jazz, and I think they should emphasize it, and I think I think they will. You're right. It's such a difference from Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert that to have that option is, is going to be really powerful. Again, so long as those guys, Derek Favors and Gobert, stay healthy. Yeah. we got to go ahead and take a break, but on the other side, we'll have Nate Duncan from the Dunked On NBA podcast join us. He's going to be talking about the FIBA Eurobasket tournament, as well as what he expects from the Jazz coming up this season. That's going to be next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to it on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, everyone. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor. Ben Dowsett, always, as always, on the other side of the table, joining me as associate editor, co-host of the show, brilliant man, etc., I'll take um, that one. Yeah, that works. <laughs> As always, if you have any questions for us or our guest this segment, Nate Duncan, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben Dowsett, ben, ben underscore Dowsett. Yeah, don't forget the underscore. I, I almost, almost lost you. Or at Nate Duncan NBA. He is the host of the Dunked On podcast on Real GM and, and had an announcement today about a new place where his writing will appear. Uh, it's Nate Duncan. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, what's up? So, Ben, was there another Ben Dowsett? You, uh, you you had to go for the underscore. On there your is. Handle? There is. There actually is. And every once in a while, someone has tried to shout me out on Twitter and shouted the wrong Ben Dowsett, and I've had to tell them because I think that's just, theirs is just straight at Ben Dowsett, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, what, what is ben, what is Ben Dowsett's story? Do you, do you have <laughs> I haven't. I never looked him up. I can tell you that a couple years ago, two different people named Ben Dowsett, both of whom lived in Australia added me on Facebook just because they thought it was like novel that we were both named Ben Dowsett or something. I don't think I'm friends with either of them anymore because that was literally the only thing we had in common in the entire world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are other, there are other Ben Dowsett's in this universe and I salute you all. <laughs> yeah. You probably get like five messages just for, because of this conversation. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. Well, Nate, let's, let's talk about basketball. Although the Ben conversation was great. Great conversation. Um, <laughs> Eurobasket has been this week, and it, it's been a fun watch um, from seeing all the foreign NBA guys from Europe watching that watching that tournament. You've had some great impressions uh, of the tournament's play of, of all the guys, uh, the international guys in on Twitter. I want to ask you specifically first about the Jazz players, um, and and let's start with Rudy Gobert. Uh, what have you seen so far from him in France? I mean, have you noticed any new wrinkles to his game uh, in the in the five games France has played? Not a ton, because and I've just been thinking about this in general too. 
for his season with the Jazz, other than just subtly refining his existing skills, I'm not sure where he goes from here. You know, is he really going to be a huge post-up threat? And he hasn't been doing that with France very much with all the offensive weapons they have. He's only had about 10 post-up possessions in both the warm-up games. They played about 10 warm-up games and then these five games in the group stage. So he hasn't really had a chance to showcase that. He's looked okay on just those few. Looks a little bit stronger, and he's had he had a couple of great, uh, amazing defensive plays, just the type of stuff that you guys are familiar with from him that really probably no one else in the world can make uh, defensively. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say that some great evolution is going to happen to him because he, he would have to go to really being a guy that the offense runs through. It's more going to be just about refining, uh, you know, his pick-and-roll game and you know getting a little bit stronger. I do think he's done those things, which because you're, and you're right, like he's not just, all of a sudden he's not going to become a guy that you can pick and pop and like shoot from 15 feet. That's just, that's very unrealistic to ever happen in his game. But we have seen him because that one bit is going to be so important for his game that how he, and we were talking about this before we had you on in our last hour, he really has refined those things in his first year in the league. And, and you've been watching him since well before he was in the league. He, he could barely catch a basketball when you pass it to him on the roll. Now he's got the footwork. He's catching the ball really well. His assist percentage went up like four times last year. I think he's, he's learned to find those passes. Do you see that stuff in it, it sort of, and how much, how important would you attach that stuff to his game? Because I think it's pretty big given that offensively, that's one of his only responsibilities yeah I noted his ability to make decisions when catching the ball in the pick and roll and really he's made some nice passes a, a lot of the French guys are really just uh, excellent passers uh, that seems to kind of be in their blood a little bit and he's developed that part of his game I think the other thing that maybe he can improve and I've seen him do this a little bit in these European games is when there's a pick and roll switch then just kind of pinning his man right under the basket, having the strength to do that and get the ball either on a lob if they front him or get fouled or just like, you know, post up right under the rim on those sorts of plays. Uh, you know, so I've seen a couple of encouraging plays from him on that that have been helped uh, by his uh, continuing to get stronger. Definitely. And I, I think – in, that's been a big point of emphasis for him in the NBA as well, is that the Jazz coaches are working with him on those types of seals. We saw guys like Darrell Wright guarding him near the end of last year, like when they when they played Portland, and I think they realized he's he doesn't actually have to have skills there. He's just got to be big enough to put those guys down low and then go up and dunk the ball. The other guy playing for the Jazz is Tibor Pleiss, um, and he's been playing with Germany. Unfortunately, we won't see any more of him because Germany was eliminated today. What have your impressions been of Pleiss? We here who you know haven't seen as much of him before this have been sort of pleasantly surprised based on what you hear about him versus what we're actually seeing. What are your impressions? Well, the, the important thing to remember about him, as I'm sure you guys have talked about, is you know he's basically I think, either 26 or 27, so pretty much prime age. I mean, certainly I think you're going to expect him to improve after a year's adjustment to the NBA, but you know, probably not a ton of ceiling for him beyond what he already is. But what he already is is, uh, you know, I think he looks like he could be an NBA player at certain times. You know, I think he has a good skill level. You know, he's not going to uh, just overpower you in the post, but he's got soft uh, right and left-hand jump hooks. There's been a lot of talk about his shooting touch. We haven't seen that at all, really, uh, for his European team uh, or for, uh, you know, playing for Germany as well on the national team. So, We'll see. I mean, if he can actually hit some NBA threes, 
or even, you know, make a living and pick and pop at all. I think that'll help him be effective in the NBA. He's probably a little quicker than you might expect for kind of a 7-2 guy. I wouldn't say he's quite as stiff, although he does have some kind of Bambi stiff-like moments every once in a while. I think the biggest thing, though, is just that he's not really very tough and not very strong. You know, I would think of him as sort of a very poor man's Rick Smith. He's got Mm. that kind of game to him, you know, a lot of height but not an amazing shot blocker and, you know, not really a tough guy. But, you know, I think he can also is someone who can take advantage of pick-and-roll switches as well. We've seen him do that on some of his post-ups. So I think he can be a bit player in the right matchups. I wouldn't be counting on him for more than, you know, 10 minutes a game or so at least in this initial season. But he's someone, too, I think can really benefit from an American strength program because that's not a priority for a lot of Europeans. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I agree that you're right that, you know, in terms of skill development, you're right that he's going to be in his prime. It'll be kind of interesting to see how the Jazz kind of tweak him from a, you know, workout standpoint and from especially, like you point out, the strength development standpoint with NBA coaches and and getting stronger to to kind of battle against those bigs, presumably playing backup center. Yeah, and I I do think he should be okay on pick and roll. He's had a few possessions where he switched the pick and roll and actually did okay guarding a, a guard you know I wouldn't in the NBA that won't be that well but that's always just sort of a good proxy for how well a guy moves his feet and so you know he, he, I think he stayed with like Sergio Rodriguez on one play who's you know not an incredibly slow guy but not necessarily a, the upper end of NBA athleticism either uh, so yeah I think he's he's got some potential it's just the, the biggest thing is just whether he's going to really be able to hold up protecting the rim and strength defensive rebounding, I don't see as being a huge strength of his at the moment right now either. But, you know, a lot of guys like that, when they can really get in the weight room and start to put on some weight, all of a sudden it can really expand their games for them. Do you find that there's a legitimately large gap between strength programs in the NBA, or do you even know, between the NBA and and, more, and European teams? Because my thought with that was I've, I've had the same worries, that he's not going to be strong enough. And my initial thought was, well, he's already 26. How much is how much more is he really going to develop? Do you think that just the move to an NBA program could really affect that significantly? Well, a, a lot of NBA guys that I talk to, and even some Europeans too, it's just not as much of a priority in Europe, they spend a lot more time practicing, maybe even more on skills uh, than we do here, at least, you know, during the season. But, yeah, I mean, I think as far as, like, sports science and stuff, just because of the budget that NBA teams have as well compared to the, a lot of their European counterparts. I mean, if you just see, you just look at guys who have played in Europe for a long time versus NBA guys, and NBA guys just look bigger. They look stronger. You know, it's, uh, in Spain where he was playing, it's just, you know, they'll, they might have a program. I think they're sort of kind of getting to that point, but it's just, it's nowhere near as regimented as it is here. I mean, you just, ultimately, you just got to look at the results. I and mean, you see a lot of guys who come over uh, are able to really improve their body. Like Nikola Miritich is another guy who I think really made some good strides in his athleticism, really just even during his first year being in the NBA. Uh, and he, he credited, you know, the fact that they're working out much harder uh, with the Bulls than he ever did when he was with Real Madrid. So in just talking to guys in the league, I mean, that's always a priority when you draft a European guy and deciding whether you're going to bring him over or whether you're going to leave him in Europe to develop. If it's a guy who really needs to gain strength, teams will place a little bit more of a priority on 
bringing him over earlier and getting him into their system as opposed to a, a guy who doesn't necessarily need that as much, then they won't do that, and they're okay to let him develop in Europe, which is advantageous because then he's not on your books. Right. Interesting. Um, let me ask you kind of from a, an NBA perspective, a larger NBA perspective, which players have surprised you in this in this FIBA Eurobasket tournament um, from any of the rosters, not necessarily the Utah Jazzes? Well, uh, Shetty Osman, who was the 31st pick by the Cavaliers, uh, they traded uh, 31 and 36 uh, to the Timberwolves for 24, which is Tyus Jones. Uh, he's a pretty skinny uh, wing out of Turkey, but played big minutes in the EuroLeague this year, which is uh, for being only 20 years old, which is impressive for a guy of that age. But that guy has an incredible motor and feel for the game. He's someone who I think you know has had a breakout tournament, and maybe we may see him earlier than some people might have thought. Uh, there's even a report that the Cavs met with him. I don't know if that means they're going to sign him necessarily, but uh, you know I think he's someone who might be earlier or ready earlier than a lot of people would have thought. And then the other person who stuck out to me really on the other end of the spectrum is Dirk Nowitzki just not really looking that good at all, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he we saw in the playoffs last year that really for the first time he wasn't able to take advantage of shorter players one-on-one. He, his drive game is pretty much done now, and you know he's pretty much a tree defensively at, at this point. So I, I'm beginning to worry, really, that he's getting to the point in his career where not only is he not a star player anymore, but he might be almost better suited to a backup role. And, you know, his inability to really have a great tournament, you know, if he could have just been a little bit better, maybe Germany would have advanced to the knockout stages. But, you know, I mean, obviously at his age, you can't expect him to be great forever. But I, I think that the bell may be tolling for him. And, and uh, you know, unless he can play a lot better this year, you might even see him start thinking about retirement when his contract is up at the end of this year. Yeah, and I, I noticed that same thing, unfortunately. I, I tweeted out earlier today, I think before coming into today's game, he was shooting under 37% from the tournament. He, he just does, yeah, like you said, those same looks that you would just expect him to get where they switch him onto a smaller guy and he does the little one-legged jumper over them. You you expect those to go in, and they're just not going in anymore. Um, I wanted to ask you about Nemanja Bejelica. Um, I, I don't know if I pronounced his name perfectly there, but I think I was close. Uh, I, I know, pretty close, yeah. Yeah, close enough. Uh, I, I know he's a guy both you and Danny LaRue, frequent uh, Dunked On podcast co-host, are really high on. And I just specifically wanted to ask, I've been so impressed by him. Um, is he playing here even better maybe than you had expected, or is this kind of just sort of the standard of what you expected him to look like here? He was the EuroLeague MVP this year. Yeah. So it's, this is not totally unexpected from him. Um, I mean, I, I like him as a, a guy who's on a good contract now, three years, 11 million. And, you know, when he, he's at 27, so they're going to get him for really his prime years at, at a very cheap salary because he was a draft pick. But, you know, I, I would slow down a little bit because he's really been able to take advantage. A lot of European teams just don't really have, uh, guys of his ilk, like, combo uh you know he lit up spain for example they don't really have anybody to guard him he's like kind of a combo forward uh they don't have anybody with that size and quickness um i, I worry a little bit about his position uh as you know if, if he's going to be a four is he really going to hold up defensively and on the boards in the nba but you know if they play small i think he can be really effective he's a great passer uh pretty darn good shooter not the most quick guy in the world but 
you know, knows how to get to his spots and is a real smart player. So I think as a pure three uh, going up against wings, I'm not sure that he will necessarily be that effective, but he is a great passer and a good shooter. It's just the question for those sorts of guys coming over from Europe is, are you going to, is he good enough to put the ball in his hands all the time? And if you're not going to put the ball in his hands all the time, then kind of what is he, you know, is he, does he have the spot up skills? You know, can he contribute defensively? But we'll see. I mean, I think they can put the ball in his hands because he is an excellent passer. It's just a question of getting the spacing around him if you're going to do that. Yeah, definitely. One more guy I wanted to ask you about before we uh, we find out about your new writing gigs, and then we'll let you go here. Um, Joffrey Laverne, uh, also playing with France. He played with Denver briefly last year. I think he appeared in like 40-some games. Not a, not a huge number of minutes. Um, he's a guy that's been really impressive. He started shooting some threes for France. They're letting him do that. He's made a few of them. He's a guy that, to me, doesn't have, at least at this level, you know, the, things get exposed in the NBA, but he doesn't have too many huge weaknesses like he's a big guy but he he moves pretty well he can defend the rim he can he has a little short uh hook game with both hands i've been really impressed by him do you think he's a guy that can come into the nba this year with denver and kind of they got a crowded front court but can he make some noise and maybe demand some more playing time i think he might still be a year away and he's pretty he's pretty young too i think he he's gonna have to refine that shot a little more i think he's probably pretty good from the corners but maybe might need a little bit longer to get really proficient above the arc. We'll see. Maybe he's made more strides than that than you might think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a live body, plays real hard, and you know, a good pick-and-roll player as well. So, yeah, I, I think – I don't. I mean, I think he'll probably be, you know, kind of more of a fourth big for them this year. But I, I do like his, his potential. I mean, and Denver has a lot of guys now, young, big, uh, from outside the U.S. in uh, Nurkic. They also signed uh, Nikola Jokic, who's uh, a lot of advanced statistics are really big fans of his game. Uh, so they're going to have some good young big prospects to kind of sort through, along with Ken Freed and Darrell Arthur is going to be back too. So it, it is a crowded front court, but I think you know at least one of those three guys I think can take a step forward this year. Uh, talking about Nurkic, Jokic, and uh, Laverne. Uh, what about Danilo Gallinari? Because I mean, he's kind of impressed me in this tournament as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, he's been really effective. Some of the same caveats for his performance uh, would apply to Bielitsa, or to Bielitsa's performance would apply to him because, again, these teams like Spain, for example, had absolutely no one to guard him. They don't really have someone who's like an NBA three. And he's been playing the four, and he's been playing with Andrea Bergnani as the five. So he's had a lot of space. He's been able to score really well one-on-one. He looks great, you know, probably not the same athletically as he was before his injuries. But, you know, his shot has been uh, on fire. And definitely I think Denver got a very good value with the contract that he signed. But, you know, he's not he's not going to do this in the NBA. I think it's important to remember the context and the difference in athleticism between Eurobasket and the NBA. But, yeah, I mean, he's done everything you would have asked him to do. He's looked great. He's been able to score one-on-one. Uh, but, yeah, and that's playing the four position. So we may see more of him at the four for Denver. And that'll be interesting in their front court as well to see how they – kind of distribute those minutes.
I almost think they certainly will play him at the four as much as possible. And that actually takes us quite nicely with a little segue because you're the you're you're getting back into the writing game, which is thankful for all NBA fans who like reading your stuff. Um, and you're going to be coming to two places, if I'm not mistaken. And the first you have already written one piece for, and that is Nylon Calculus, our good friends. Seth Part now is a frequent guest on the show, and he's the uh, editor in chief over there. And you actually wrote about the sort of extend, and, or excuse me, the renegotiate and extend that the Nuggets did with both Gallinari and Chandler. Yeah, so really what the renegotiate and extend does is it kind of gives you a place to put this kind of dead cap money. In. And I think uh, as your site, Dan Clayton wrote about maybe the Jazz doing this for Derek Favors mm-hmm. in a couple of years, but you can basically use your cap space to increase someone's salary for that year before their contract is up, and then you can do a contract extension starting at the new number. Uh, that so, and you can do three more years on the end of that for certain people. You know, you have to meet the eligibility requirements that are too Byzantine to get into here. But essentially, that's a good way to use your cap space when you consider that there are not that many players on the market, and the cap is going up so much that there's going to really be a total buyer's market from a player's perspective. So it also provides a way for teams to keep their free agents. Usually making uh, doing an extension doesn't make sense for a lot of guys because they just can't be as long as signing a free agent contract. But when you say, oh, yeah, here's a, you know, a bunch of new money in the already existing contract, then signing an extension along with that can make a little bit more financial sense for the player, and it helps guys stay with their teams and teams retain their free agents. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, that's a good point. I, I will be interesting to see how the Jazz use that moving forward. You also announced another writing location for your uh, words of wisdom today. Yeah, the Cauldron actually is a site that was started about a year ago, and it's had a really meteoric rise to the point that now they're going to be affiliated with Sports Illustrated. I'll be doing a column with them at least one a week, and uh, maybe more. We'll see uh, as time goes on. So, and then I'll probably be. Still writing it now on calculus as well. That'll be kind of more cap dork stuff and uh, in, in fitting uh, with the theme of that site. And we'll probably do more kind of scouting based stuff and, uh, you know, more overall league wide stuff with the cauldron. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Nate, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Again, we can follow you at Nate Duncan NBA um, or, of course, your work, as we mentioned, on nylon calculus and the cauldron. All right. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Nate. Really appreciate it. Cannot wait to read Nate on both those places. One of my favorite people in the entire NBA sphere to get their opinions on. Um, I think the stuff about uh, that Dan wrote about could uh, sort of cartwheeling off that point a little bit is that, that with favors could be really interesting um, because I believe it would be actually be next summer that the Jazz could engage in. No, I think it was the one after that the Jazz could engage in those conversations. And I think it's a really interesting avenue if favors wants the security oh, rather than wanting to go to the open market. And knowing Derek Favors, and in fact, there was a great article uh, by Adi Joseph mm-hmm. on him in the Sporting News this week about how he has found a home in Utah uh, since moving here. And, and really, he wasn't sure that he was going to since moving from New Jersey. He wasn't sure that he was going to spend a long time here, but in fact, has, has found a home and has really loved it. Uh, he's exactly this kind of player that might take advantage of that should you know the cap scenario make sense and, and whatever else. 
uh, to to renegotiate and stay stay at home, if you will. Yeah. Another thing with Nate, really quick, guys, is you should go definitely give a listen to did both Eastern Conference and Western Conference summer reviews, effectively, where that ends up being a lot more than just a review. They basically end up talking through that entire team's situation. They did not, I will I'll play a little spoiler, they did not give the Jazz the greatest rating in the world, which mm. one would probably imagine, because the Jazz basically did nothing this summer. Yes. Um, but they, they, as you would expect from good hosts like them, they went into the context surrounding it, and Nate even, I had a conversation on Twitter with him where he basically said, I don't even think them getting a D is a bad thing. Like I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad for their organization. It's just what they happen to get on this one. And but I think it works for what they're doing long term. Right. I mean, if if you're making good choices and and contention, you know, very smartly choosing to not do this, or you know, even if you, I think we had some discussions that the Jazz could have done more with their offseason. Even if you disagree, you can understand why they chose to do what they did. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got the return of Around the NBA and, you know, also importantly, the return of LOL Lakers, oh, yes. our most you know, infamous segment. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Thanks again to Nate Duncan for joining us in that last segment. If you missed it, that interview will be up on ESPN 700sports.com. Or as always um, on iTunes and Stitcher, with along with the rest of the show. So uh, we want to do our traditional segment, going around the NBA, with uh, kind of bringing you all the NBA news that's happened in the last two weeks since our last show. As always, well, I don't know if we always start with LOL Lakers, but let's do LOL Lakers yep. because it's important. Thank you for the yakety sacks, for producer John Lafollette, a happy producer right at the moment. LaFollette, I should say. I always mispronounce your name. I apologize. Wait, it's LaFollette? It's LaFollette. I like lost wallet. my wallet, LaFollette. Ah, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I've been pronouncing it wrong for like a year. It's okay. Then. I'm used to it. Somebody finally made a good fire Dowsett joke with me on Twitter the other day. It was Kelly Scaletta. Finally got a good one off. Just, where's the fire Dowsett? No, it was a good one. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was actually well placed. That's, You'll have to find it because yeah. I guess name jokes are going to be part of the show now. Yeah, apparently. Anyway. Speaking of names, Meta World Peace, <laughs> uh, the former Ron Artest, the, the return to the Los Angeles Lakers is much closer than it than it appeared. He is working out daily at the Lakers practice practice facility, and is inching closer to return to the franchise on a one year deal. I love this thing, this for two reasons that it's actually like seeming super possible now. One, he would be taking away minutes from like. Laker players who actually deserve it conceivably, right? And you yep. can totally imagine Byron Scott pulling a Ty Corbin and playing, playing him like 25, 30 minutes a game, taking minutes away from, you know, Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle, the whole, yeah, I mean, the whole group. Yeah. Um, and B, I, I'm also, because I also kind of like it because Meta World Peace as a mentor, a 35-year-old mentor to these young players is interesting. Now, I should point out that Amin ESPN Amin Al Hassan pointed out to me that Meta World Peace has a good reputation in the league as a locker room guy. Uh, actually, won like the charity guy of the yeah. year award, whatever that's and called. And he has a good, really good relationship with Randall, specifically. They've said, but I don't want people acting on or off the court like Ron Artest, lest they get suspensions. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, it's probably. So a good it's, point. it's an interesting choice as mentor because you know from what we know of Meta World Peace. I don't want him as a mentor, but from what the people who know Meta World Peace better say that he's actually a good choice for this role. I think the on-court thing is more important, though. 
Yeah, and I it, it, it would totally not be shocked to see Byron pull a, a very much a Ty Corbin and like start him and you know, play him thirty minutes a game. Type you gotta of thing. get veterans in that lineup, okay? <laughs> you can't just have young guys out there. DeAndre Russell and Jordan Clarkson. What will they do with an out, without an adult there? Yeah. If anything, the Jazz have taught us that that is the wrong way to think. Yeah. Anyway, that's our LOL Acres segment for today. Thank you for the music. As always, John LaFollette. <laughs> John LaFollette wearing his Brady jersey and happy camper right at the moment. Presumably also owns a wallet. Yeah. Uh, Clippers actually really, this this one might be more surprising. Nikolaj Skitavili. Is that the right way that to is, say that guy's I name? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I was going to go I with you. I watched the 2002 NBA draft, and I actually spelled it wrong on our recap sheet here. Nikolaj Skitavili is was probably one of the most famous busts of in NBA history. I thought, right I, always thought it was tickish, I always thought it was Tikishvili. I, I have no idea. Do you pronounce both the T and the S? Like that's no that's a lot of that's a lot to ask. Anyway, I don't I don't really get this because like it's not like he had become a brilliant player at the European level. Um, he was still, I mean, he he improved, but he wasn't you know a top. 20 European player, I wouldn't think. I I will be honest. He was. I know who the guy is because he's a famous draft bust, but he's been nowhere near my radar. Or I think mostly anybody's as far as like an actual NBA player. Right, and and so it, it's just kind of weird, right? That he was playing in the Lebanese NBA or Lebanese basketball league before now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I just I I don't really get it. I mean, yeah. I guess he still has the size that he had, but um, and, and let's be honest, it's probably just a practice contract, but even still, for practice contracts, I think you can do better. Yeah, I would probably agree. For example, Jeff Withy. Yeah. Uh, the Indiana Pacers bought the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, so that means that they, are, they were the last unaffiliated D-League team. So that means there are no yeah. unaffiliated D-League teams left, which means that the 11 NBA teams that don't have a D-League team uh, will have to, whenever they send people down it'll kind of be assigned it'll be a kind of a allocation system of who gets which of these nba players right. depending on availability and who already has nba players on the roster etc cetera, etc cetera. this was pretty much just a uh, for a matter of time before this happened yeah and, and you know it's something that the pacers had been working with fort wayne for a long time so this is this is not like a new surprising announcement but it is interesting in terms of the nba developing a real uh, meaningful minor league in, in the in the D League. You know, we kind of want a true baseball system here, where every team has its own minor league team, mm -hmm. and that's where we're moving towards. Because you know, I, I think we'll keep seeing that teams really want a, a minor league place to send their players. I mean, we're seeing the the Jazz using it all the time. I think we'll see them use it even more next year than they did this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe they won't have to as much because of injury, but still. One would hope. And, uh, you know, it's it's proven to be a valuable resource for them. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Another mostly unsurprising uh, decision that came down yesterday, I believe, was that divisions have been officially removed as a seeding uh, method for the playoffs. Yeah. It is now one through eight regard by record per each conference. That's it. Meaning that a very fun scenario has now opened up where a team could conceivably win its division and miss the playoffs if it had the ninth best record in that conference. Which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, me too. Like, not, I, if you have like a, a division like the Atlantic where the, the best team is probably like the Boston Celtics, for example, yeah. um, and they only win 35, 36 games, I'm fine with that team missing the playoffs. Yeah, like, absolutely. Just because you're better than the Nets and the Knicks and the Sixers, you shouldn't get an award for greatness. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's not how this whole competition thing should really work.
Yeah. Now, the next step there is making it a seed 1 through 16 and making these conferences not matter at all. The issue um, there is some scheduling stuff, travel, things like that. But yeah. I do think there are potential solutions on the horizon, at least. Yeah, I, I, I think that's interesting. And, and eventually, like, you would hope that the Eastern Conference teams would get it together and start having smart ownership or smart management, really. Like, One of these days it'll that's, happen. to me, the biggest difference between the two conferences is that the Western Conference is filled with kind of these smart uh, new age GMs who kind of realize what it takes in order to be successful. And these Eastern Conference teams are run by, like, the Knicks GM, like Steve Dolan types or, or Billy King types or mm-hmm. whoever, you know, it's it's just kind of, it's weird that incompetence is so common in a place where it the, really the TV markets are so big. It just, it is kind of crazy when you think about it. It's just like it's all lumped on one side and right. on the other side is all this smartness and, like, great job. It, yeah, it's weird. It is very weird. Um and it's been that way for 20 years, too. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's pretty nuts. Anyway, uh, Zach Lowe ranked the logos, the NBA primary logos on ESPN this week on, on Grantland, I should say. Uh, the Jazz's current logo ranks 23rd out, out of that list, the, the primary mountain logo. As I reported on Twitter and KSL.com, the Jazz will be changing their primary logo to the secondary note logo uh, probably, well, definitely by now next offseason. Um, and then we'll see what they end up doing as their secondary logo, but it will be some version of the note logo as a primary for the 2016-17 season. In that article, Zach Lowe said it would be, if that was the primary logo, that would be a top five note in the league. Really? Oh, he went that far. I'm, I'll be honest, that's one of the very few Zach Lowe articles that I have You don't read. like the logo talk, Ben? I am not uh, as huge into it. My, Zach, Zach's only areas that I will not like auto-read why? no matter what are the logos and the mascots. I'm just, have you no taste? Apparently not. Have I'm you just, no sense of style? It's just never been my thing, to be honest. Like I like that he does it and it's a great niche, but I've, I, it's just not really my thing. It, it could be your niche. It could be, but it's not. It's Zach's. Um, Marky <laughs> well, Morris. By the way, we're number oh, one but yeah as i think they should be one of the top ones if not number one i agree with that. i mean their logo is a robot reading a book upside down you can't you can't hate on that <laughs> totally <laughs> um markeith morris has demanded a trade officially out of phoenix as has continued to put ridiculous things on his twitter like once every few days and then delete them just a little bit later that guy is a massive head case somebody asked me a question in my basketball insiders chat if the jazz might consider looking at him no it's only because of the head case thing i, th- I actually think he'd be an interesting basketball fit oh but, he would be but they would never ever but ever because look he in is such direction. a head case like he has these assault charges out that he's, he still hasn't uh faced trial for i don't believe and yeah I, you know the jazz just don't want that anyway we have by the way a tweet from j money sports saying if you win your division you make the playoffs i'm pretty sure you're wrong i'm sorry but yeah, that's it's not correct. Officially changed as of this week. If you win your division, you don't make the playoffs. Not automatically. Exactly, not automatically. Uh, that has been confirmed by an NBA league spokesperson. That that part of it is done. Uh, Which I love. Why? Yeah. Like, why would that be a rule? Like, I, I love that it's not. By the way, also shout out while we're shouting out uh, Johnny Benson at SLC One B. Long drive from Ogden to Taylorsville, and I follow my radio. Nope. Andy B. Larson talking jazz basketball priorities. Hashtag go you, Johnny Benson. I have a fan. You do. You have a fan. It's hey, important. tag me on Twitter next time, too, yo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't care that much. Um, you're, you're an important part of this, too. LeBron, I, yep. this, this is incredible. LeBron shoots terribly when he doesn't wear any accessories. Which like So when he doesn't wear the headband or the sleeves, things get bad. I actually have the graphic up. Normally, when he's got the headband on, he's a 48% field goal shooter, shoots 38.7% from three, and 72% from the free throws. Did you say 48? 
from three? 48. Uh, regular, but 38 from oh, three. Oh, I thought you said Sorry. 48. Sorry, 38.7% from three-point line with the, with the headband and the right arm sleeve on. When he has none of those things on, he shoots thirty nine percent from the four from the floor, sorry, and thirteen point six percent from three. He's and this is in NBA shooter. game action. In NBA game action in the twenty fourteen fifteen season. Wow! So he had that period of time where he just wasn't wearing the headband. Yeah, no, that's that's a bad idea. And even when he wasn't wearing the headband at all, but still had a sleeve, uh, the three point shooting went down, the field goal shooting went down, the free throw shooting went down. Basically, LeBron, you should wear your headband, bro. Apparently, that affects his balance or something. Um, Drew Holiday will reportedly be restricted in training camp. Um, that's too bad. I love Drew Holiday. He's one of my pet guys that I'm really big into. Although it's not too bad if it maybe drives his trade value down even further and maybe the Jazz want to trade I'll him. I'll no, point I know, out that I know he does also, like, him being hobbled makes it easier Isn't... for the Jazz to conceivably pass a Western Conference rival. Right. As, by the way, does the Dirk slowing down. I yeah. think we've seen him. I already had Dallas well behind the Jazz anyway, but just in case you didn't, yeah, that should probably help. Um... Kyrie Irving wants yep. to return before January. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he had that kneecap injury in the finals. We'll see him back, it sounds like, for two-thirds of the NBA season. Michelle Roberts, uh, head of the NBA Players Union, said in an interview with an Italian newspaper, which, random, but okay, uh, said that labor talks have already actually begun with the NBA uh, and Adam Silver, and the sides hope to iron out a deal by the end of this season, the 2015-16 season, more than a full year ahead of when the current deal expires. Now, A, will that happen? No. But that they're talking about it so soon and that they have something in place where they're working together trying to get these issues taken care of now rather than waiting until the last minute and forcing a, a lockout, good news bears. Oh, it's a huge news. And, and, and you compare it to last time. Last time at this, at the, you know, this far in advance, like two years almost in advance of the, of, the, of the actual thing going down. I can't speak or anything. But <laughs> th- there was nothing. Nobody was saying anything. It was pretty much just be like, oh, man, I hope we don't lose any games. Like, that was pretty much what everyone was we saying. We wouldn't want to lose any games as, you know, the, yeah. the gun chamber comes out. Yeah. yeah, I mean. Now they're having real meaningful conversations. Zach Lowe, we've mentioned him a lot on the show, wrote a big piece about it last week. About he And he's a, an optimist, and it, it, he's as plugged in as anybody is to these sorts of things. I'm an optimist as well. I really think that they can get it done, and I just think, in the end, the amount of money that there is is going to be the trump card to everything. Yeah. It's just going to be, we can't sacrifice this. I worry because the owners are such jerks. They really <laughs> I, are. That like they won't be wanting to give that up. But I, I just I, and I do think that the NBA PA will want a couple more percentage points uh, going towards them. But I mean, I there are issues. They make so much money. Yeah, there are issues. But I think that in the end, they're both sides are going to be willing to make minor concessions because they realize that it's just it's in their best interest to continue and not have any short sort of shortage of games with the with what the league is doing right now. Yes. Uh, the Kings have now added Peja Stojakovic to the front office, which, as Tom Ziller points out, they're now Bibby, Chris Webber, and Doug Christie away from Yahtzee in having the the Sacramento Kings starting five in their front office. Yeah. I just like Peja and uh, Vlade working together in the front office, bringing the Kings to not glory, certainly, but something or other. Yeah. And Fox Sports Southeast uh, has named Stephanie Reddy a full-time game analyst for the Hornets. She's the first woman to have such a job for an NBA team, so she's in the three-man booth there 
with uh, Del Curry, and I forget who their play-by-play guy is. I have listened to basically zero Charlotte broadcasts ever and don't know much about her specifically, but this is great. If she... it like shouldn't her. matter what gender you are. If you're qualified to be talking about that stuff, we need more qualified people in those booths because, unfortunately, lots of teams have people who are not qualified in those booths, yes. and they're in there because they used to play in the NBA, and that's the only reason why they're there. I still want Nicole Hernandez, by the way, she in, would do great. in the English booth. I think that would be stellar. She's she right now really the, well. the Spanish color commentator for the Utah Jazz. It would be cool to see her in an English role, given her bilingualness. Anyway, Definitely. that's my Nicole Hernandez shout-out for the week. That's also our Around the NBA shout-out for this week. Um, we'll go ahead and take a break on the other side. We've got some jazz family news to talk about. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Never, ever going to do that again. Yeah, don't do that. I'm Andy Larson. I, I shouldn't even say my name after doing that. <laughs> Salt City Hoops show. Just associate yourself with it. Anyway, that's Deep Izzo No singing that, not Andy Larson, and hopefully never again will be. Uh, <laughs> the Utah Jazz theme song from the 0708 season. I uh, want to wrap up the show with just a, a note about the Jazz family growth since we can. And and there's been like a lot of things happening in the jazz world in terms yeah. of families recently. So, I mean, Gordon Hayward had his baby in June, June 6th. Bernadette Marie Hayward, um his wife and and Gordon too has been posting some pictures of them together with their new baby, baby Bernie as they call him on Instagram, um and her, sorry, I should say. Uh and yeah, I mean, good for Gordon Hayward. But then since then there have been more additions to the Jazz family. In fact, Derek Favors had twin girls. Uh, How long ago was that now? It was end of August, so, okay, so I, like I don't few know an exact date. Um, I'm not sure that it has been like reported or anything. But um, And Derek Favors, both of them, by the way, are cutely like, playing video games with their babies in their in their arms, which I think is cl- <laughs> of course clever they are. and creative. But it's a great picture of Derek Favors playing Xbox with just like, one of his twin girls laying on his chest, and then Hayward has got the same kind of photo, but laying in his lap as he plays League of Legends or whatever. Um, so they're still getting to do what they do for now, although maybe changing a diaper or two. Um, as we pointed out, Favors is one of the Jazz players who is not currently with the team at Zion's Bank Basketball Center because he's taking care of those twin girls. So that's good to see, and you know, quite you get an paternity leave. It's a, it's an important thing. Yeah. No, and so you know, I may I'm probably taking this. Further than it than I than I should, but I think it in a way it it ties into the theme that we've discussed of this jazz team being very close with each other and being very the fact that they're you know in a lot of ways these guys are growing up together and that's an overused phrase and it's you know it's not like these they they were there for each other's childbirths or anything but they're the fact that these guys are going through some of the same experiences at some of the same times in their life and then they're some of the people they see the most often i think that's a good thing and i think that it's good that the the jazz have sort of maintained that they've got a number of guys that are in sort of the same age track and that are doing a lot of the same things as far as their lives outside of basketball it's a really small thing. It probably has a you know marginal, minimal effect on what actually happens on the floor. But, hey, it can't be bad, right? Yeah, I mean, at the very least, you don't have any Adrian Peterson kind of situations happening. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, just because the football's on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the obvious comparison, negative comparison there. Um, 
And then we've had two weddings with the Jazz as well. So yeah. Trevor Booker uh, engaged and got married this, this summer. Actually, I think they were engaged before then. But uh, he posted the story of their engagement on Twitter, or sorry, on their uh, wedding website, which I think is hilarious, and a picture of it. Basically, Trevor Booker put in fingernail polish, will you marry me, in on their bathroom mirror, um, which April had an interesting story. It was like, so I cracked the door to see how bad the smell was, and it was a different smell than I expected. Let's just say that's <laughs> how the story starts. You can see the rest of that story on, on my article at KSL.com. Uh, and then Joe Ingles, or Jingles, I should never call him Joe ever, as you know, he deserves. Does he like the nickname Jingles? I don't think he does. Well, okay, so I didn't think he did, and then he took a photo uh, on Instagram of him and Renee, his new wife. Uh, they have, like, matching Jingles and Ringles shoes <laughs> with a little Converse, like, name tags on the back. So... On the one hand, I didn't think he was a big fan of it, and I was always afraid to call him Jingles in person, although I did, like, ask questions of Quinn Snyder referring to Jingles, which I always kind of smirked at. Um, I, I don't think he loves it, but it, they, he got matching shoes now, so I, I can't. I, <laughs> Whether he loves it or not, it's, he's it's, embracing it. He's now Jingles, yeah. or maybe his wife is. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> his, possible, his too. Maybe she likes cute. it, yeah. Uh, Renee, by the way, is a Australian national team netballer, so they're both kind of heroes in their country. Netballer? Although netball is a sport. What is netball? I don't know. <laughs> it, I, I have no. It's not basketball. Let's let's point this out. It is like a particular Australian sport. That netball. I, I have the description yeah, right here on Wikipedia. Right. Yep. It's, it's netball. Netball is a ball played by two teams of seven players. Its development, derived from early versions of basketball, began in England in the 1890s. Uh, games are played on a rectangular court with raised goal rings at each end. Each team attempts to score goals by passing a ball down the court and shooting it through its goal ring. Players are assigned specific positions which define their roles within the team. During play, a player with the ball can only hold on to it for three seconds before shooting a goal or passing to another player. So it's like a mix between basketball and ultimate frisbee. And they don't have backboards. Uh, and they're 60 minutes long and fast-paced. And I, basically, I kind of want to watch this now. I'm interested. Yeah. I, I It seems interesting. Like, I, I, I don't know. Australia is apparently quite good this at This and it. bike soccer. Have you seen the bike soccer where the guys are riding around on actual have, road yeah. bicycles playing soccer? That's that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, in other crazy sport, have you seen uh, the, what's it called? Foot volley or whatever it's called that they play in Brazil where it's volleyball, but you can't use your hands? No. Isn't awesome. that incredible? That's <laughs> like, awesome. That you have that level of skill to be able to play volleyball without being able to use your hands and just do like bicycle kicks over the net. I was going to say, time. is that all they're doing is just bicycle and kicks head, all game? And, yeah, headers, basically. That's awesome. Right? <laughs> like, that's a great sport. Um, I also wish that... Uh, What's the other one? Handball. Team handball caught on. Because yeah, team yeah. handball is cool and fun to play. It's interesting. They had the uh, team handball, USA team handball coach come to Westminster once when I was there. And We should like, do an obscure sports podcast. Uh, well, A, I want to be like an Olympian in an obscure sport, like curling or team handball or something. Like being an Olympian would just be great. That's yeah. that's that's a lifelong dream. Anyway, that's another Salt City Hoop show. Thank <laughs> you guys so much for listening. I hope you learned a few things about netball and the Utah Jazz and, and the actual NBA, too. FIBA Eurobasket continues for the rest of the week. Uh, you can watch that on watchespn.com. Uh, and as always, you can download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, saltcityhoops.com, or ESPN700sports.com. Thank you so much for listening. ESPN 700. <laughs>